Hey guys, you have to check out this episode with Jessica Satterfield. She is the founder of The Garden and she is the author of Partnering with Heaven. It started whenever I was walking through IVF. Every morning I just started journaling. I wanted to journal the whole process. Partnering with Heaven, the father told me that several days into it, he said, this is not the only thing that you're conceiving as a baby. You're also conceiving a book. You're writing a book. The revelation from Partnering with Heaven came came to me whenever I realized that we get to partner with heaven for our health, for the kingdom of God to come on the earth. Partnering with heaven is just my journey of listening to what heaven was declaring over me and partnering with heaven in that process. It's a 28-day devotional for women who are trying to conceive. I have had so many great testimonies already. It was just released October 1st of this year. In this episode, I talk a little bit about our infertility journey. I talk talk about really the three things that I've found that have unlocked me in this journey. Thank you. And it would be a great gift idea if you want to invest in someone who maybe is needing to stand their ground, declare and partner with that miracle they've been waiting for in their life and or gift it to yourself. Love you guys and stay tuned for the episode. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And as many of you know, it's through our own personal life experience that we gain the greatest pain, but also the greatest insight into resilience and finding out how strong we truly are. I am honored to be with Jessica Satterfield. She is the founder of the garden. And we're going to unpack what that is and how you can get involved if you've ever walked through a period of grief, infertility, or the loss of a precious child or something in your life that has broken your heart. Because we are a community that we want to invest in you. And Jessica bravely shares her story. And we are so excited to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, you're welcome. It's my privilege. Um, and in her bio, it's so sweet. She's eloquent and an author, published author. Jessica has been wrecked by the love of a heavenly father. She has known the intimacy of Papa God in the midst of heartbreak of abuse, infertility, and child loss, because she knows him in the fellowship of his sufferings. She also knows him in the power of his resurrection. And we're going to talk about post-traumatic growth. She writes on her popular blog, Grace While We Wait, and is the author of Partnering with Heaven, her first of many books to come. She is the founder of a ministry called The Garden that connects women on the broken road to motherhood to the healer. She is a co-host with a few of her friends on a YouTube show and podcast called Grace and Truth, where they connect real women to wholehearted life in God. Wife to her life crush, Brandon, and mama to five, one who now lives with Jesus. Through the miracle of adoption and the miracle in her womb, her days aren't busy, but rather full and very, very wonderful. Thank you, Jessica, for being our guest today. I'm so excited to be here. So we were both speaking for a conference called Moms in the Making, which I think is a beautiful compliment for the garden that both are strategically creating community and support for women dealing with either infertility or miscarriage or just that hard-weighted 
promise fulfillment process. Um, so it was a privilege getting to hear you speak. And to be completely honest and candid, I looked at you and I was like, I don't know that this girl has ever gone through anything. You're just the prettiest, sweetest, <laughs> loveliest person ever. And then when you bravely and candidly started sharing your story, I knew we had to have you as a guest in our community for us to just hear your story and what has helped you rebuild even better than before the heartache has happened. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. It has, it has been lots of hard throughout this story. Yeah. Yeah. We're also walking in a lot of freedom and a lot of beauty too now. I love that. I love giving hope in context that we've never been promised this easy life in red letters. It says you will have heartache. And yet we also know that there's restoration, rebuilding double for our trouble. So yes. can you share some of your story in the context of what led up to founding the garden? Yeah. So I grew up in an abusive home, very dysfunctional. And I just knew that when I grew up, I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to have a safe home mm -hmm. and I was going to marry this beautiful man. We were going to live in a little white house with a white picket fence with 4.5 little blonde headed, curly headed children running around. And I got married after a lot of my story fast and got married and married the man of my dreams. And we started trying to get pregnant and our white picket fences just crumbled around us. Mm. And I thought that because I'd walked through so much hard already in my life mm. that I kind of done my dues, if you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, okay, we've put in, we've put in the hard. So this part of my life is going to be smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. We started trying to get pregnant and we tried for several years to get pregnant. We did infertility treatments. We did medicated cycles. We did the timing, the shots, all of the different things. And it just wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And so to make a very long story short, I was desperate for community no one at that time, this was 12, 13 years ago, mm. were talking about infertility. It wasn't something that was talked about. Now you go on social media and it's, there's all types of communities for people yeah. walking through infertility. There yeah. wasn't then. And I was desperate for community. And so I honestly started something that I really needed. Yeah. And so the garden was born in my living room and I had 22 girls the first night and over the years, it just grew out of my living room and we, um, throughout the years, it's just grown. And we really just like to welcome in women whose heart are just desperate. Mm -hmm. And it can be through different stories of infertility, infant loss, miscarriage, adoption, foster care. Yeah. Um, we're also we've invited in women who have had abortions previously and her walking through that recovery as well. Yes. So, um, yeah, I am the president and founder and we have, um, an amazing executive director who's hands on the ground, feet on the ground now running that ministry. And it's just been such a privilege just to watch it start in my living room and grow throughout the years. That's beautiful. Oh my goodness. I love it. 
Um, so in some of your lowest moments, what was that like for you? Because I think a lot of people, whether it's ourselves and our own story or one of our loved ones, and if you're listening right now and you know someone who's walked through infertility or child loss or some area of disappointment and pain, even a prodigal, a situation where there's a separation or foster care, we would love for you to send this to them so that more people can be encouraged. But would you bring us into your story? Yeah. So after the three years, four years of infertility, we ended up just feeling a release from the infertility stuff. It has just been so hard on my body and we stepped into adoption. And so we actually really struggled. I struggled more so than my husband, just stepping into that. And the night that I said yes to adoption, a man handed us a check for $10,000 and said, this is a check for your adoption. Wow. And he had no idea that me and Brandon had been talking about it and that I was kind of on the fence. And the reason being is because I was like, there's no way we have finances for this. Wow. And it was like, God gave us a check that very night. That does not happen to people. You don't have a random check for $10,000 given to you. And so we started the adoption process with our now oldest, Sayla. She's about to turn nine in December. Wow. And what's beautiful about her story is from the moment that we started adoption paperwork until the moment we brought her home was exactly nine months, which is really, it's really fast in the adoption world. She was just a promise fulfilled for us and just still lights up our life. She's amazing, Sayla. Mm. And then um, several months, she was nine months old. Her birth mother called us. We had a very open adoption. Mm. Her birth mother called us when she was nine months old and said she was pregnant again and asked us to take the baby. And several months later, Micah, our now middle child was born and came home with us. They are exactly 16 months apart. And Mm. then Several years passed from Micah coming home and their half biological brother, Zion, was put in foster care. And so my sister had been a foster mom for several years and we had really walked out this adoption foster care journey together. Mm-hmm. And so he, we weren't licensed to be foster care parents at the moment. However, they were. And we wanted the siblings to be together. And so did birth mom wanted the siblings to be together. And so my sister and brother-in-law fostered Zion for two months so we could get our license. We got our license and then he came home to us and he, we went from Mickey Mouse clubhouse and diapers and Legos to transformers And a seven-year-old boy. I mean, I had toddlers at the time and it was just, we were thrown in the deep end to parenting. Yeah. And not only were we, you know, parenting a seven-year-old, but we were parenting a child that come from tremendous trauma. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely life-changing for us, Mm -hmm. life-changing for our children, but we just... It was this, the sweetest and hardest several years Hmm. and Zion was adopted two years later. How many? 
two years later after that, it was uh, November 18th is actually his adoption day. And his name was changed to Zion Satterfield. He was officially a Satterfield and it was so important to him. And that was in 2019. Wow. And then in May of 2020, um, he passed away tragically. Oh. And it was as if our entire lives just crashed down around us. Yeah. And everything that we remotely saw for our future was just completely shattered. Mm. And we had walked through several failed adoptions. And this whole entire time, I have been believing for healing in my body from infertility. So at that point, I had been barren for 10 years. And it just felt like everything crashed down around us and we had no place to turn. But we, this is where I feel that I've started to become unlocked because as we were parenting Zion, I started noticing these things in myself throughout the years, through my childhood trauma. I was noticing things that Zion was triggering me and I didn't realize why he was triggering me. Yeah. So Zion was in counseling. I got myself into counseling and I call it the three C's because it's something the three C's have radically changed my life and it's counseling community and communion Mm. and starting. He had just passed away within the week. My whole family was in counseling and we were just learning how to walk forward without him. It's so tragic when anybody passes away It just feels devastating when it's a child. Yeah, of course. And he was 10. He was so full of life. He had so many great things ahead of him. So many prophetic words over his life. Mm -hmm. Um, It was hard. He had a hard life. We were walking through really hard things, Mm -hmm. but we, we were just devastated. And I think back to that summer and just how, it was all I could do to get out of bed, to parent the other two. It was all I could yeah. do to yeah. my community around me were telling me to drink Pedialyte. They were telling me to eat. They were, you know, giving me things that you just normally do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as if I couldn't take care of myself, much less anyone else. I was just in so much shock and the grief was just, just compounded. It felt in my body even. And so my husband and I just decided our pastor actually looked at us the day he passed away. And he said to us, most marriages that lose a child, they don't make it. Mm -hmm. I think it's 80% of marriages who lose a child. They don't make it. And he looked at us and he said, you have to choose, choose one another every single day. And we made it a priority. We, We chose each other every single day. We were very present with our children. We, we decided that the next year we weren't going to do any trips. We weren't going to be away from them. We always go on a trip every year, just us. Mm -hmm. And we felt like us being present for them was very important. Yeah. So it makes me think of even right now, as you're listening, 
have you had a hard time taking care of yourself in a period of grief, whether in the past or maybe even in the present? Many times we don't realize we're in grief. It's There's a shock denial, a beautiful insulating factor that helps us just function and get through the day. And especially if you have family members or employees or things that you have responsibility, it's really easy to keep on autopilot and not even realize that you've entered into grief and not even realize you're not taking care of yourself. And that may sound like, oh, woo-woo, self-help. But in reality, if you're not getting the appropriate protein and building blocks and getting the sleep and exercise, if you're just scrolling through social media or Netflix, um, you're literally going to create the perfect storm for depression. So grief does not have to turn into depression or complex grief. Um, grief is very valid. It's very real. And there is sorrow and loss and anger and adjustment and confusion, but it doesn't have to turn into depression. But many of the people I work th with, um, there's a situation where we just kind of numb out and it's easier to avoid and not deal. And so we power through, we keep going, but picture it's like you have this little fracture, a hairline fracture in your leg, and you just keep putting more pressure, more pressure. And and so your inner world is holding and containing a lot for you. So by not getting nutritious meals and just eating fast food and junk food, be very careful. Your body will lean toward those high calorie sugar, uh, simple carbs because it spikes your glycemic index and it temporarily makes us feel better and energetic, just like caffeine and other sources that we self-medicate with. And they're not bad. But just be aware if you're not getting good nutrition, good minerals and water and uh, protein, the building blocks that you need that more now than ever, because your body is also grieving, not only your soul, but it takes a lot of energy to grieve. And you may find that you just get winded and fatigued during the day. And you're like, I don't have the energy to care about one more thing. And looking at your phone and responding to one voicemail feels like way too much. That's because your soul is going through a lot, which taxes your body. So give yourself a lot more grace during times of loss, transition, breakup, someone passing away, a move, anything where your life has just changed radically on the outside, you might be able to function and make meals for everybody and run the business. You might be able to do that on the outside, but just be kind be aware if you do not steward your inner world, you're using up all the backlog of good chemicals. And before you know it, you're going to crash. And that's where you create a depressive episode that follows grief. So I love Jessica's story, her vulnerability of sharing where she was at, where it's like, I needed friends to remind me to have pediature or Pedialyte, um, because many times our brain just is not even thinking about that. Think of it like a computer. So much of the brain is back here trying to just keep you afloat and block all those emotions and just survive the next five minutes. And so it's not present enough of, I should go on a walk and be in nature. I should step away from that cell phone or the stimulus of uh, numbing out and avoiding, but I really need to read a good book. I need to journal. I need to go to counseling. I need to be in healthy relationship and process. And obviously not all the time, but structuring in time that you can process and also know you will sound like a broken record, even to yourself. I want to affirm you that that's normal. And it's actually appropriate part of grief. Mm -hmm. Being able to repeat it over and over. It's not just like you're looping. It's actually saying it from different camera angles. 
So picture that you have an internal committee and there's different parts of you that are grieving and each part of you will now review. And then you'll notice there's inner conflict around that where it's like, well, but I shouldn't feel like that. It's almost like you have a thought and another thought interrupts. Instead of just seeing that abstractly, picture it like literal parts of self, just like the Trinity that we have literal parts made in the image of God. And so the part of you that needs to grieve something, many times it'll get interrupted. My encouragement is to just go slow and separate both parts being valid, but not allowed to interrupt one another. Many of my clients will use different color pens to write out each side of their grief journey, and they'll write it out, giving permission for angry me to be angry and not discount it and say, I shouldn't be and sad me to write that out and not try to be positive and full of faith and the ruminating me that wants to make sense of it. Any of those stages of grief, if we get stuck there, we stop progressing. The reason we get stuck is there's a part of us that defends and blocks your movement in natural organic grief process. One of the ways we do that is just numbing out, avoiding, not dealing. And if you notice that you're just really struggling um, to feel like yourself, you feel kind of numb or disconnected, you're around your loved ones, and yet it's just kind of not feeling right, something feels off. Be aware that may be a sign that you have a defender protector response that's kind of insulating you from grief, but it will also keep you stagnant in the grief process. So I just wanted to underscore what Jessica is beautifully articulating on the story side that we're giving that psychology side that please, please be aware that your body is also going through grief, not just your soul. So we want to go to that counseling session with people you trust and I love the part about intentionally protecting your relationships, cultivate those. We want to isolate. We want to withdraw. We don't want anyone to talk to us or look at us. We want to crawl under the covers. I understand. And I have been there, but it's actually been in healthy relationship that I've seen growth spurts in the grief process. So Jessica, what did it look like boots on the ground to actually grieve well together with your partner? So good. Everything you said was so good. Yeah. So we were, we were surrounded by community that Mm -hmm. actually, because our life is pretty public, we had a community come in and kind of surround us to the point to where we didn't have just random people walking in our house, bringing us meals. They would leave them on the front door. We um, also really had intentional time where we went to counseling, but we also had time where we were being discipled. Mm. So we had the the part that I guess you could call it more pastoring. Yeah. So we had counseling that was actually dealing with the trauma where we were doing EMDR. We were doing yeah. splotna. We were working yeah. through things in our body, but yeah. then we actually had time where we were being discipled and we were being pastored through it as well. And we had our pastors were very present in our life during that season. They still are today. Mm -hmm. And we just had a chance. I love what you're talking about of seeing it from all sides, the grieving. Mm -hmm. We had a chance for us, for us to do that in different areas and different angles and we would just have different touch points in our day where Brandon and I would just look at each other and say, what are you processing? What are you sad about? What are you angry about? And sometimes he would say, I, 
have been feeling numb today. And I would say being numb is a feeling and we would just validate because there is something powerful about the both of us walking through the same thing that no one else in the entire world could comprehend. Yeah. It felt as if Brandon was the only one there that day with me. And he was the only one who knew our son, like I knew him. Mm -hmm. And so it, there's this sacredness around our relationship Mm -hmm. that I really feel was the grace of God that kept us turning to one another. And we had to choose it. Mm -hmm. We each had to choose to, to, to turn to one another, but I'm really proud and thankful. And so, so honored that Mm -hmm. what the enemy meant for evil to destroy us, to destroy our family. Yeah. The father really in our marriage has redeemed that place. And I can say that we're stronger now than we were three years ago. That's so good. And I could imagine people listening right now, and maybe that hasn't been your story. And maybe you've really struggled in being able to connect in community or with family or with your partner. And so we just also want to create space and honor that it can feel very alone to be in the same house with someone and yet feeling alone in the grief instead of being able to turn toward each other. Maybe you're trying um, and the other person has not been able to do that. Or maybe they're trying to reach out to you and you just feel so numb and shut down that it's really hard to let someone be there for you. And I know that many times there's false responsibility, false guilt, shame, condemnation, that we have such a negative narrative that we don't deserve to let someone be there. So whether it's you or your partner, that can be something to start praying into, uh, feeling worthy to receive, uh, forgiving ourselves and forgiving the other person. Many times we can blame because we're in pain. And so the unconscious mind always wants to associate a protective response, right? So the brain will create scripts of I'm in pain, who's to blame? How do I make sure I never go through that again? And that creates blame. So it creates a heuristic or a mental shortcut that the brain will go, I feel pain. You're the closest to me right now, person I live with. And so I'm going to associate you with that pain. And so I'm going to accidentally just kind of subtly pull away and create distance. They may be doing it to you. You may do it to them or both. And so in that moment, anything that you can do to just be tender or soft or kind and not continuing to try to force that connection, but just creating room, creating space. And I love just these regular little check-ins like, Hey, how's your heart? What are you feeling? Or actually numb is a feeling, right? Um, To just validate and honor one another's experience and continue to show up with consistency, warmth, and kindness and doing your best not to take it personal that the person may be shut down around you, even though you're doing everything you can to try to bid for connection that may not always be reciprocated at first. Don't blame yourself but just recognize how can I continue to live as wholehearted as possible and continue to pray that the other person allows those walls to come down without trying to like force the walls down because then it becomes a power struggle and they associate you with kind of crossing and impinging instead of being a safe harbor to process. And I would also recommend sitting in silence a lot. 
many times when we're in pain or we feel like someone else is in pain, we try to rescue, we try to talk too much, we try to fill the gap, we get excited, they give us one word and we ask 12 questions and they're like, whoa, I have enough margin to answer one word right now. Don't like barrage me. Um, in that moment, your heart is good, but on accident, you could overwhelm and then it kind of shuts down that process again. So just creating space, which just means they talk and you're like, hey, I get that or I hear that. And I felt like that too. Thanks for sharing. And then allow some breathing room that if they feel safe, now they can open up and share that next level. And that's where that true intimacy is fostered, where we feel safe to come at our own pace instead of feeling forced because now we feel guilty and bad that the other person wants something from us. Um, but then that's artificial and it'll lead to resentment. So it's far better to just go slow, be gradual, and create a context where we both feel safe to share at our own pace. So you said you entered into counseling. And if someone's in that deciding place, what helped you find the right therapist to walk with you and your family in that journey? I specifically have encountered lots of sexual abuse and trauma regarding sexual abuse. So I just started searching in my area for someone who was aware of trauma, who could walk me through sexual abuse yeah. trauma. And so I found an amazing counselor who started working with me. I was so thankful that I had started counseling several years before he passed mm. because she knew so much of my story already. Yeah. And we weren't starting off from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so it was such a blessing to have her every week. And I just, I personally believe that every person needs counseling. Mm -hmm. Every person needs, has gone through some type of trauma in their life that they need help sorting through. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it is more, well received now than it used to be. But I think there's something that is really powerful about saying I'm doing this. I think I, I told you this previously, but whenever I started counseling, I wanted to get healed and I wanted to get whole for my children. Mm -hmm. I, I did not want them to, I didn't want to pass down behaviors that they would have to be in a counselor's office yeah. later down the road. Granted, me and Brandon have a fund because we want our children to get counseling. Every person needs counseling. Yes. But as I started my counseling journey, I began to change my mindset from getting healthy and whole for my children mm. to I want to get healthy and whole for myself. So good. And it was such an incredible investment that we made in my future and in, my future and my children's yeah. future and my marriage and the people who are friends with me, my family. Yes. And I just really, really love counseling. And I think that every single person should be in counseling. <laughs> and for the record, I did not pay her no. <laughs> for that positive <laughs> recommendation for my field. That is really important. And I think there's so many times that we feel like we just have to get through it. We just have to muscle through and, and life doesn't have to be that hard. And if you have a bad counseling experience, go to someone else until you find yeah. the right fit. Yes. 
Yeah. And I love that you already had good rapport. You had a foundation. You'd already been building and investing in that area so that when a storm happened and you really needed, you weren't at ground zero. So I think there's something to be said about the intentionality of setting up your life so that you've got some uh, buoys, you know, on either side that when the storm comes, I'm not crashing into the rocks because I've already put some infrastructure around me, including the counseling, the church family, uh, the marriage that you'd already been investing in. It sounds like financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, you'd already put some good things in place, which maybe the Holy Spirit had been prompting you and you didn't know that storm was going to come. So anyone listening right now, what are things you can do to start preventing and preparing that just like Florida having a storm, it's going to come. We're going to have storms in our life. So what can we do now with intentionality to prepare so that it buffers it and it, maybe it's not as devastating as it could have been? So, okay. I love the counseling. And then you had also mentioned communion. Can you unpack that for us? Yes. It's my favorite part because I grew up in a house where my dad wasn't really present. He worked a lot. And so I had this view of God that he was really far off Mm -hmm. and that he wasn't accessible to me. And maybe he didn't have time for me or he was too busy for me. Right. But I remember there being one night whenever I was a little girl, I remember my parents were fighting and my mom took us to church every single Sunday. I'm so thankful. And I just honor her so much for just making sure we were always at church. Mm -hmm. We definitely had we were pretty on the outside. We were a complete disaster on the inside, but I'm very thankful. She made it a priority to get us to church every Sunday. And so in the darkest nights of my story, mm. this one night when I was a little girl, I remember my parents were fighting. It was so loud. I couldn't go to sleep. I was very scared. Mm. And I asked God if he would just, I remember asking him, do you see me? Can you just be with me? Because I'm really scared. And it was in the middle of winter. It was in the middle of the night. And there was a little songbird that sat outside my window and chirped the entire night long. And I knew that night that God was real and God was with me. And I started developing this relationship with him that I realized that he wasn't far off, that he wasn't unaccessible to me, that he wasn't too busy for me, that he wasn't running other things. So he couldn't pay any attention to me, but actually he was very intentional with me. And I started building this history with him throughout my years Wow, where he became a safe place for me. Mm. And you were talking about how to set up buoys in your life to where you can prepare for the storm. I think I think having communion with God, and when I say communion with God, what I mean is I don't have to be at church. I don't have to be reading my Bible or I don't have to be praying to have communion with, with God. I can be writing down my card, thinking about how beautiful the sunset is Mm. and knowing that he's right with me. Knowing that we're sharing that moment together. There's so many times when my kids are absolute chaos in our house in the afternoons and they're running around and they're, you know, screaming at one another. There's dishes everywhere. The dog's barking, the baby's in the cabinets, 
but I can stop in a moment and just deep inside, I can just know that God's with me yeah, and that he's sharing this moment with me. And so often because of our story, I'll just say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this moment. And it, it's, it's not something that we have to make religious. I think that's, that's what has been so beautiful about my story is I thought that he was this God that I had to perform for that I had to mm-hmm. I had to get him to love me. Yeah. Because that's the only way that works for me in the past mm-hmm. was for me to to work hard for other people's love to earn their love yeah. by doing certain things. And I realized after so many years that he's not like that at all. And that he just loves me just because I'm me. Yeah. And being his child is the favorite part of who I am mm-hmm. and building history with him all of these years. Yeah. It's as if my roots just have gone really deep. And so whenever this storm of Zion passing away came, he was my safe place because yeah. he had been my safe place over and over and over again. Yeah. And I could not have walked through the heart of our story, of all of our story, of my childhood abuse, of dysfunction in my family, of a decade of infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had nine heart surgeries. I have a pacemaker and I'm 35. Wow. All of the all of the hard that we've walked through and then losing Zion. I couldn't have done that without being connected to him, without knowing him, without having yeah. hope in his goodness. Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel like that in and of itself is, is just life changing. Yeah. But when you add community and you add counseling to communion, yeah. it's like you have a full, you know, I used to be in education and we would talk about the whole child. Yeah. It's as if the whole child of me is taken care of Mm -hmm. and I'm processing and I'm, I'm knowing the deeper places of father God's heart. When I'm looking at my counselor's face and she's helping me walk through things, whenever Mm -hmm. my community around me is pastoring me and Mm -hmm. they're loving me. And it's like, I'm knowing more of who he is in all of those places too. Um. As well as while I'm doing dishes in the kitchen by myself. Yes, I love it. That's I so just good. Like I wouldn't have made it. I know I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. I wouldn't be here. I There was a moment in my story in October of 2020. Zion passed away in May 2020. It was dark for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't have said then that I was suicidal. I wouldn't have said, I didn't think about hurting myself, but I was so without hope. Yeah. I could not move forward. Mm-hmm. I did not see how I was going to move forward from it. Yeah. And he's the one who picked me up mm-hmm. out of the miry clay and set my feet on a solid rock. And yeah. he's the one who rescued me, who, mm-hmm. who gave me hope because he is hope himself. Yeah. And I was able to walk with him hand in hand. Yeah. And I, I felt so many times as if mm. I was holding on for dear life, but actually he was holding on to me the whole yeah. time. 
And there's still so many places where we're believing him to redeem because that's who he is. He redeems everything, every bad, ugly place of ruin and rumble. He, he redeems every bit of it. There's still places where we're believing him to redeem, but we've walked with him through the fire and we know that he's good. Yeah. And so for anyone who's listening and you don't have a grid for anything she just said, and it's like, okay, I'm kind of on board. I understand the community. I kind of understand the counseling part, but this communion with God may feel really foreign. Many of us culturally, we come from kind of a more of a religious context where it feels like you should, you must, you have to. And whether we realize it or not, it feels like God is Zeus or like the principal who's going to get you when you haven't done the right thing. And it's like, oh man, I haven't done the right thing for 10, 20 years. And so it feels like he's unavailable. He's distant. Um, not very kind. Um, Sometimes we don't even see him with a face. I just want to remind you that your soul is interpreting the spirit realm through your life experience. So she underscored it earlier by saying, my dad really wasn't very present and doesn't always have to be the dad. It could be anybody, but if there's a context of just seeing authority figures as kind of removed or like the Muppets, right? That they're big and tall. And then I'm down here and it feels like wah, 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 like this lack of connection. If you're wondering what she's talking about, one, it's not personal just for her. This is available for all of us. Absolutely. Two, we have internal Uh, constructs. They're called God image versus God construct. And it just means it's our natural unconscious way of projecting onto God, our perception of reality based on our life experience, wherever our soul steps in with a filter, I'm going to perceive God as distant, unavailable, you know, brass ceiling. And it's like, I don't think he's got time for me. Look at the people starving in some other country. Who am I to think God has time for my silly request? All of those are actually just showing an unconscious belief that you constructed as a child. Again, it's called a heuristic, a mental shortcut that your brain goes, I'm not going to put myself out there for um, an intimacy because I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected or unwanted. It's not going to go well. There's going to be disappointment or disapproval, et cetera. And so in that place, you're actually in a reenactment. So you're recapitulating that same dynamic, projecting that onto God. And then it's the self-confirming bias. I believe that's what's going to happen. And so that's how I perceive and relate and interact, right? So you don't even pray. You don't even talk to him. You don't even try to darken the door of a church because it just feels like he's so distant, far away and hard to please. Or, you know, I'm perfect, perfect, perfect. And the moment that I'm not, it feels like, oh, dang, a car accident's going to come, something bad. Instead of going, oh, no, this is the most secure, unconditional love that you could ever experience. And as I started doing my own work in clearing out my God image where, yeah, God was literally, his back was turned. He didn't have a face. Uh, he would hold me up by my ankle and, um, I was like upside down on my ankle. And I just had all these beliefs that you're going to leave me hanging. You don't really care. You don't look at me because you have so much disappointment in me. When I started to work through, oh, that's actually coming from somewhere in my life experience. That's not objective reality. Now I could start going, no, wait, I reject the belief that God is disappointed or perfectionist or Zeus, or I'm just not even sure if he's there. Remember, your family could be in your home and yet not engaged with you. 
And that for the unconscious mind still makes it feel like people can be there, but not present. Right. And so it feels like God's not there, not listening. It feels like everybody else, like Jessica has this fantastic connection with God that I don't understand what she just said. But if you start recognizing, oh, it feels like God is distant. I reject the belief that God is distant. I reject the belief that she has some special connection that's not available to me. I welcome the reality and truth that God is unconditional love, that God is pursuing me, that God is for me and not against me. That there's a kindness of him coming in human form through Jesus to want to give me this delightful bear hug that I am important. Now, at first, that work was really hard because it's going against what feels true to remind yourself truth until truth starts to feel true. It's the same principle with any kind of toxic brainwashing. You just have to renew the mind to get back into truth. We've all been brainwashed into believing abandonment, fear, rejection, performance-based acceptance. But by breathing in, resting in, leaning in day after day, going, I am God's favorite without performance, without any expectation or demand. If I never go to church, if I never do anything, God pursues me. God is for me. And over time, you may notice that your inner world starts to open up because your soul is stepping back, no longer creating that filter. And now your spirit man can come forward. And now you can feel the presence of God. You look at that sunset and you're like, oh, whoa, that's beautiful. That you see your child's face and their little giggle dimply cuteness. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't thank you, Lord, for beauty. Thank you for connection. Thank you for love. Thank you for this moment of just getting to be at rest. That's those moments that your spirit man is leading. And then our soul takes over and it feels like God has gone away, you know, but then once you go, wait a second, soul, step back, spirit man, come lead again. You'll feel God's presence who is Tigger and not Zeus. He is for you and not against you. And everything she has said is a thousand million billion percent available to you. And it's not just this adorable, blonde, pretty girl with this great life. This could be your story. You just need some keys to get unlocked so you can experience that community counseling and communion in your own life. Jessica, do you have any last words that you would share with our community? I think those are the three things that I know has unlocked my heart yeah. and I know that they can unlock others too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Well, thank you so much. How do people connect with you, with the garden and with your book, Partnering with Heaven? Okay. So I have, my website is www.gracewhilewewait.com. You might you want can... to say it slower, gracewhilewewait.com. Yes. Great. You can contact me through my website. Um, my book is also available for purchase through my website, or you can find it on Amazon, Partnering with Heaven. Mm. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok as Grace While We Wait. Perfect. So you can find me there. You can contact The Garden. It's www.thegardengroup.com org mm. and get connected that way. They're also the garden group on Facebook and Instagram as well. 
Love it. Thank you so much. And I know she's got to rush to go pick up some kiddos. So we'll let you go for now, but we would love to have you back. This has been a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it so much. Thanks. Bye guys. And we pray that you are investing into counseling, community, and communion, maybe stepping out in some new areas there as well, and preparing for the storm. Life is going to happen. So let's prepare now so that we are as buoyed and cushioned as possible. We're so glad that you're a part of this community and we continue to love hearing your feedback, continue to reach out, and we would love to tailor episodes and future conferences and groups according to your needs. Love you guys. Bye.